Good morning. Thank you for joining us online at Norris Ferry Community Church. This morning as we worship, let us look to God and be reminded of his goodness and his grace to us. As we begin our service, we are going to read a passage out of Psalm 105 that encourage us, encourages us to give thanks to God for his wonderful works and to seek his presence continually. So if you would, look at Psalm 105, verses 1 through 4 with me. Verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Let's pray. Father, you are a God of unfailing love and mercy. You stand by every promise you have made to your people. And this morning we come together in homes all across Shreveport and we give thanks to you. We proclaim your greatness this morning. We gather to sing your praise, to seek your face, and to rejoice in your faithfulness to us. We pray that your spirit would guide us into time with you. Holy Spirit, would you open our mouths to sing God's praise, open our ears to hear his word, and open our eyes to see him working in our lives. Father, thank you for your unfailing love. I pray this morning we will remain loyal to the gospel of Jesus Christ and we will love one another as you have called us to do. And it's in your son Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to invite y'all to worship with me this morning. We sing about a God who has done great things and he will continue to do great things. Y'all sing this with me. Promise. 
Today is a big day. We come to the very last message in 1 Corinthians. Uh, today we come to the last verses, verses uh, 13 through 24 in chapter 16. Now, if you remember, if you've been with us throughout this series, you remember that Paul started the church in Corinth, and then after he spent some time there getting it started, he moved on to Ephesus. And while he was serving the gospel ministry in Ephesus, he received a letter uh, from the church in Corinth. Now, I'm calling that a complaint letter. Uh, apparently, it was filled with information about lots of issues that had popped up in the church that Paul needed to address. And so, 1 Corinthians is Paul's response to their complaint letter. And what we've seen all throughout this letter is Paul is responding 
to issue after issue or problem after problem that has developed within the church. And what's interesting is that in every response, there is some aspect of the gospel. Paul sees all the problems in all of their life through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just to review, remember the first problem we saw was church unity, that they had become divided. Each of them had kind of developed a cult around personalities of certain leaders or teachers saying, I'm of Paul or I'm of Apollos or I'm of Cephas. And so they were divided over that. And Paul's response was, no, we only worship Jesus because he died on the cross for our sins. And so we want to stay unified around this gospel of Jesus Christ. And then next we saw various members were of the church were participating in sexual immorality under the guise of freedoms that they enjoyed in Christ and what they did in the body didn't matter. Paul responded to that saying, no, Jesus in the gospel, he died to set you free from sexual immorality and he mentions that the body will be resurrected. So what you do in the body matters. And so he called us to sexual integrity in light of the gospel of Jesus and the resurrection that we will enjoy later. We also saw they had problems, members using their freedoms to trample over consciences of others. They were eating food sacrificed to idols. So what did Paul say to them? He went to the gospel again and he said, gospel love dictates that we don't do that, that we put concerns of others above our own freedoms, that we should be willing to deny our own freedoms for the good of others in our church family. Uh, Then we also saw their worship services became chaotic and people were all about exalting themselves and showing off in church, if you will. And Paul said, the gospel demands that we put the needs of the greater good above our own. And the greatest need that the church has is to worship Christ is that Christ should be exalted in our services, not any one individual or any personality. Then finally, the people in the church were denying the bodily resurrection. We looked at this for quite a while in chapter 15. And Paul again goes to the gospel, and he says the resurrection of Jesus Christ is at the very heart of the gospel. And then he calls the church to recognize that the gospel resurrection is the key to every aspect of life in the church. He says it's the resurrection that will solve all these issues that they're facing, or it's the gospel that will solve all these issues that they're facing. The gospel unites the body of Christ. The gospel love moves us, motivates us. It's the source of our motivation to put others ahead of ourselves. And Paul is calling them to apply every area of their life, to look at every area of their life through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, what we see is the gospel is not just to save sinners. The gospel is for believers. It's it's for the church. It's the foundation. It's the water that we swim in in the church family. It is for everyday life in the church. And so today as we come to Paul's final words, it's no surprise that his focus is on the gospel. But think about what, what, what Paul's doing. He's given final words, final words of instruction to people he dearly loves. It's a lot like Dana and I will be doing as we drop Madeline, our senior in high school, drop her off at Louisiana Tech this fall, heading her as she heads off to college. And you know, when you think about that moment, I think, man, what do you give? What are your final words of instructions to your child as they kind of are launched off on their own? 
I could think of so many things I want to say, but after studying this text, I think I now know the one word that encapsulates everything. And that word is loyalty. Remain loyal. I want to encourage her as you head off to school. I want you to remain loyal to the Lord. Remain, remain loyal to his gospel and remain loyal to your family and to us and to the instructions that we've poured into you all of your life. Remain loyal to who you are, who God has shaped you and formed you to be as you head off into this world on your own. And I get that from the words of our text today. That's basically what Paul is doing in these final instructions to his church that he loves, the church at Corinth, is his focus is on loyalty, gospel loyalty. Now today we're going to focus particularly on just verses 13 through 18. And in this farewell greeting, he actually has seven exhortations, seven commands that he gives to the church. But really that idea, loyalty, summarizes or encapsulates the whole idea of what he is saying. He is calling the church to remain loyal to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father God, I just ask for your help this morning as we work through these, stu- these, these scriptures that recall us to loyalty. Lord, I pray that you, will, that you will make us a church that remains forever loyal to your gospel. We pray this by the power of your spirit, even as we listen remotely through video, Lord, I know that you are with believers and with those who are hearing the preaching of your word. And I pray that you will do a powerful work in all of our hearts this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, to, to keep things simple this morning, there's seven commands. I'm just going to categorize them into two categories. First of all, the command to remain loyal to the gospel message. And then we will see the command to remain loyal to the gospel family. Let's look first at loyal to the gospel message. I get this from two verses, verses 13 and 14. Paul says uh, five commands in these two verses. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And let all that you do be done in love. I'm calling this the command to remain loyal to the gospel message. Now, to help you see where I get that from, I want to trace through scriptures uh, some places where Paul uses this phrase, be watchful. In, in this passage, he says, be watchful, and we see this in other places. Like in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul uses that phrase again. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So that's where he's saying it again, be watchful in it with thanksgiving. But what does it mean to be watchful? He goes on in verse three, he says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. So again, this is accompanying with the idea of be watchful and be prayerful that God would open the door for us to share the word of the gospel that we might, and he goes on, that we might declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Then in verse 4, he says that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, make the best use of time, and let your speech always be gracious, gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So what is Paul saying in this 
uh, passage where he talks about being watchful. He's basically saying to, to be watchful that you have great clarity when you share the gospel and when you respond to people in your conversations about the gospel. So again, being watchful is equated to gospel loyalty, loyal to the message of the gospel. Be clear about this message. We also see he uses a phrase in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. In this passage he says, beginning in verse 8, be sober-minded and be watchful. In this case, he says, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. So in this case, being watchful carries with it the idea of remaining faithful in not falling into temptation to sin, not sinning, not living any type of lifestyle that's contrary to the gospel message that you're preaching or that you're sharing. So again, with your life, he's calling us to be watchful, to remain faithful or loyal to the gospel message by not living any type of sinful life that would be contrary to that message. Our walk needs to be loyal to our gospel message. We also see he uses a similar phrase. It's translated a little differently, but in Acts 20, verses 29 through 31... Paul's instructing church leaders, and he says in verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, he says, be alert. And that's the same Greek word that is also translated, be watchful. He says, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And so in this case, he's saying, be careful, be alert, be watchful concerning the gospel word that I proclaim to you, that I brought to you. Don't let anyone twist the message. Remain loyal to the message that I brought to you. And so in verse 13 and 14, when he says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, which can be translated, be courageous, He's saying, be courageous, be strong, stand firm in the faith. Let all you do be done in love. He's saying, have a fierce loyalty to protect this gospel message. Don't let anyone compromise this message, whether it's through your life or through words. And at times, as we obey this command or these commands, it's going to require to be strong and courageous. It's going to require us to to not be weak and to be watchful and careful as the winds of cultural change come our way as political correctness or or scientific enlightenment or our own desires to tweak the message. We are being called not to allow that to happen. Sadly, throughout church history, we see that there has been great generation after generation seeks to be disloyal to this gospel message. It's, it's actually strange. It's, it's kind of an unusual thing if you think about it. But we see in Israel, they struggled to stay faithful to this simple, pure gospel message. We see in Corinth, we're going to see uh, not too long in 2 Corinthians, that Paul is dealing with him and saying, you're not being loyal to this gospel message. We see throughout church history after Corinth, the church 
generation after generation, we see churches fall off and leave this simple, clear gospel message. Why, why do we see that? It's the strangest thing. Church leaders, professors, teachers seem to be dead and determined to try to change this clear gospel message. I read an article by Harold Brown, Harold Brown, which is, he's a theology professor, but he wrote an article for Ligonier Ministries. Uh, in this article, he makes this point or observation about how strange that is. Listen to what he says. He says, it's a curious fact about Christianity that it is the only major religion, many of whose paid full-time priests, prelates, and professors spend much time and energy trying to show that it is false and that it should be totally changed or perhaps even abandoned. And so it's so interesting, it's crazy that he points out that Christianity, so many times the leaders of that faith are trying to change the very message that they serve. Then he goes on to say, Buddhists do not do this. Hindus don't do this. He says, Muslims certainly do not, or if they do, they, they don't live long, he says. And then he kind of concludes, he says, this shows, I believe, that the religion of scripture, historic biblical Christianity, is obnoxious to the prince of darkness. And so he makes it a point of tempting the professors and priests of Christianity to undermine their own doctrines. It really is crazy when you think about it. Throughout the ages, the, the very leaders and teachers of the Christian faith seem to be the ones that try to tweak the simple message that Paul says, don't do that. Remain loyal to this gospel message. Maybe it's because of human pride. Maybe our pride, uh, professors want to have something new and make a name for themselves or, or be creative and, and show that they're, they're smarter than someone else. Or perhaps Trevin Wax is correct when he says that maybe this tendency towards heresy comes from the false thought that going deeper or to have advancing thought needs to be requires us to do away with orthodoxy. Listen to what he says in response. Trevin Wax says, orthodoxy, properly understood, does not shut down further thought. It does not stop further discovery. No, orthodoxy actually is what makes deeper thought and further discovery possible. That's so good. He says, discovering the first truth means you have something you can build upon as you look for a second truth. And for some reason, people tend to think, he continues, that the way forward, the thoughtful approach to life and doctrine is to break down the boundaries and toss out taboos and do away with doctrines. But that approach, he says, shuts down the possibility of deeper thought before it's had the chance to grow. So what is, what is Trevin saying? I think he's right to say that too many times people think, well, we gotta, we gotta, in order to go deeper, we need to get rid of these limits. And, and that means change orthodox teaching, the traditional teachings of the faith. But he is right in saying that's not the key. The key is actually maintaining these orthodox teachings because then you can spend a lifetime going deeper and deeper building on each clear understanding that we discover. And so... Orthodoxy actually is what makes deeper thought and further discovery possible. 
That's a great truth to remember. So we should not fall for the temptation of tweaking the message. We must remain loyal to the gospel message that that Paul handed down to us. In Jude 3, we, we read this. It says, we must contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That's what Paul is commanding us to do. Contend for the faith that was delivered once for all, delivered to the saints. In order to do that, we're going to have to be bold, courageous, stand firm, and always fight for the gospel, but always do it in love. So be loyal to the gospel message is Paul's first point to us. Next, we say, he says, be loyal to the gospel family. I get this from verse 15. He says, now I urge you, brothers. Notice brothers is a familiar term, a familial term. Brothers is family. And he says, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. And then we get the main command in verse 16. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence for they refresh my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such men. Again, I'm calling this Paul's command to remain loyal to the gospel family. Look again at verse 16, what he says. We see in verse 16, the basic command is be subject to such as these. Be subject to them. And he's called them brothers. So he's talking to his family, his church family. He's saying, hey, be subject to men and women like these, such as these. So who is Stephanus and what does it mean to be subject to him and people like him? Well, we don't know for sure who Stephanus is, but it's highly likely that Stephanus and the other two men that were mentioned uh, were, were uh that those two men worked for Stephanus and they were businessmen. And in that day and age, if they were his servants or his employees in our modern day language, they were considered a part of his household. And so we know from what Paul says that Stephanus and these two co-workers, part of his household, were the first converts in the area. They were the founding members of the church at Corinth, that probably Stephanus heard Paul preach his gospel. God opened his mind and heart to trust in Christ as Savior. He became a convert, and then he shared with all of his household. He taught them. He used his influence in his employees and in his family to lead them to trust Christ. And so probably Stephanus and these other men, his household, became the earliest founding members and ultimately the elders or leaders of the church at Corinth. Now we can tell by what Paul says that he was a refreshing godly man. He was called a laborer and a worker in the gospel. And he's, Paul says, man, they were a great refreshing refreshment to me just as he has been for you. And so these are incredibly, uh, incredible blessing to the church body as refreshing laborers in the gospel, serving the family of God. Now, possibly that they were businessmen, and so when they were leaving Corinth, traveling to Ephesus for business, the church probably said, hey, would you take this letter, this complaint letter, to Paul? And as we know that's been going on throughout this time, they've been at odds with each other. And so here, Stephanus, who's been refreshing to the church, and, and when he went with the letter to Paul, he's refreshing to Paul, he's kind of caught in the middle. 
And so as he is sent back with Paul's response letter, 1 Corinthians to the church, Paul is telling the church family, hey, be subject to these men. Embrace men like them too who are serving the gospel and refreshing the family in their faithfulness. And so Paul tells them, submit to people like this and recognize people like this. And so what does it mean to submit and recognize uh, people like this? Again, let's work through some different passages throughout the scriptures. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13, Paul says this. He says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. So that starts to give us this idea of what he means to submit, to recognize. It means to respect them, to respect those who labor among you and over you in the Lord and admonish you. And he says to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, to respect them, to honor them, to, res- to esteem them, to submit to them as they labor lovingly in the gospel ministry. Be at peace among yourselves. So Paul is filling in for us what it means. In Hebrews thirteen seventeen, similar instruction says, Obey your leaders and submit to them for their keeping watch over your souls. This is one of the most important verses to the founding of our church. This is what we understand God's called the leaders of the church and the members of the church to do for each other is to keep watch over each other's souls. And that's why we do church the way we do, to make sure that we are involved and truly know each other so we can care for each other in this way. As those who will give an account to the Lord, let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So here Paul teaches that submitting to the church leaders includes obeying their teaching, respecting them, esteeming them, and making it a joy, not not fighting against their teaching. This is what we should do in the church. But we see it's not just for church leaders. It's not just submission to the elders. It's also to one another. When we go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul describes the church people, the church family, as a people who are submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so what we see in the church is that as each one of us submit to Christ and his authority, and then he brings us together in unity around Christ, we also have a mutual submission, a mutual respect and esteem and love and care for each other. And when we have a church family like that, it's a beautiful, refreshing community. And that's what Christ creates through his gospel when people are focused on his gospel and remaining faithful and loyal to his gospel message and his gospel family. And that's what I want you to see as I close. I want you to see the relationship between loyalty to the gospel message and the impact that has on the gospel family. Only the true gospel of Jesus Christ will produce beautiful, refreshing gospel family. If you tweak, if we allow anyone ever to tweak our gospel message, the gospel message that was handed down to us, then it will destroy gospel community. The, the only gospel which says the God-man died for us sinners, 
Only that gospel fills us with humility and meekness and unites us in the exaltation of Christ as opposed to ourselves. So whether it's the false gospel of religion that says, I'm accepted because I obey, or whether it's the non-gospel of secularists who say, I am Lord of my own life, that all leads to pride and arrogance and division. But the one true gospel of Jesus Christ unites us in humility and meekness as we worship our Savior Jesus Christ. Being loyal to the gospel message is the only way to enjoy and continue to enjoy the refreshing gospel community that we enjoy. In his book, Life Together, Diedrich Bonhoeffer says this, quote, What determines our brotherhood is what that man is by reason of Christ. Our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. This is true not merely at the beginning, as though in the course of time something else were to be added to our community. It remains so for all the future and to all eternity. I have community with others and I shall continue to have it only through Jesus Christ. He continues, the more genuine and the deeper our community becomes, the more will everything else between us recede. The more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. We have one another only through Christ, but through Christ we do have one another wholly and for eternity. End quote. May we be watchful. May we stand firm in the faith. May we always be courageous and stand loyal to this one gospel message that Paul delivered to us as of first importance, just as he has received it, that Christ died for sins in accordance with scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures. Father God, I pray that you would grant us loyalty to this gospel message, that you would protect this gospel family that is so beautiful and so glorious and so refreshing by protecting forever this gospel message that you've given us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus
Thank you so much for worshiping with us online. If you're a guest, we are so glad that you joined us and we would love to connect with you more. If you would, text NFCC guest to 97000 and that'll send you our, our virtual uh, guest card and so we can contact you or you can visit us on our website, norrisferrychurch.org. We've got a ton of resources on our website that are there to help you during this time to, to disciple your family, to continue to grow in your walk with the Lord. And so, Check us out online, norrisferrychurch.org, or check out our Facebook page, and we'd love to connect with you. Here at Norris Ferry, then we take our members very seriously, and so anytime one of our members leaves for a job or for moving or for different circumstances, we love to send them out. And so 
during this times, that's a little odd to send someone out. But uh, we had a member move to the Dallas Metroplex area, Austin Walker. And we want to send him out this morning and let him know that we're praying for him. If you could reach out to him and encourage him during this time as he tries to find a new church home, as he connects with new community, we would love for you to do that. I'm going to send us all out with a prayer out of the passage this morning that's also an encouragement for Austin. And so let's read this together and then we'll pray. It says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Let's pray. God, we pray for Austin that you would help him to be strong in the faith, that you would help him to be watchful, that you would help him to stand firm, Lord, that you would help all of his actions to be done in love, God, and that, that through him in this new position and this new people that he's going to meet, Lord, that you would draw many to yourself, you would encourage many. Lord, would you help him to find a church home and would you encourage him during this time? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.